when it comes to heating up your business, it's all about making more bacon. And that requires an expert with a particular set of skills. You need a Baconologist. Building authentic connections, online networking, through social selling, relationship marketing, mindset and training. Yeah, that's bacon. Get ready, because we're about to fry up a sizzling success strategy. This is the Bacon Podcast with your host and business Baconologist, Brian Basilico. It's a lot of bees, man. Welcome, everybody. I'm your host, Brian Basilico, and this is the podcast where you learn to make your business sizzle online. So are you ready to fry up some new business? Hey, peeps. We have Brent Keltner in the house, and Brent, you are in Boston, correct, sir? I am. We're having a beautiful spring day in Beantown today. Awesome. So you being in Boston means you're going to bring some wicked hardcore stuff today, like you park your car, you got in the yard, and you're ready to make some stuff happen, right? Yeah, well, I don't want to disappoint your listeners, uh, your viewers, but I grew up in California. So let's get started. First thing I want to do is kind of give you the floor and let people know who you are and what you do. So, Yeah, so I run a company called Winalytics, which is a go-to-market and revenue acceleration consultancy. We do a lot of sales consulting, but in the modern buyer environment, if your sales strategy is not directly connected to your go-to-market strategy, your buyer journey, you're in a world of hurt. So we talk about go-to-market strategy first. Um, I actually started out life as a PhD social scientist and got really good at pattern recognizing, doing interviews with corporate leaders in banking, insurance, telecom, other industries, just seeing patterns in interviews, honestly. And then I went to what academics call the dark side. I went to work with Kaplan in their higher education group that was competing with University of Phoenix, Capella, Strayer, all those for-profit online. And that started a run of four revenue leadership roles uh, mm-hmm. where had, you know, consistent successes. Uh, and it honestly, my success came down to the fact that I had not been trained in the traditional product-driven selling, leading with it's about me, my product, you know, how great my company is, but I had a way of just leading interviews around what we call authentic conversations, all about the buyer, Mm -hmm. buyers, why, why was the buyer on the call that day? And how could I help them make them more successful? I trained teams to do that for great growth successes. And then I started consulting with Winalytics and now we do uh, the same thing for companies in in a range of industries. Excellent. So let's start by digging into your book. So when you wrote it, what were uh, I'm sure you had some core takeaways that you wanted people to understand that, you know, if somebody read your book, there were three, four or five, whatever core things that you said when they're finished, this is what I want them to understand. So can you describe what those top three are or whatever? Yeah, we've touched on a, a couple of them. The one is just the this demand for personalization. Mm hmm. If you're not personalizing your conversations, and we talk about authentic conversations, and we think about it in three parts, that you always start with your buyer's why. Mm -hmm. And that's on your website. That's in your prospecting. It's in your first call. Honestly, it's in a second call because in the first call, we get the champion's why. In the second call, we got to get the buying group's why because there's going to be six or eight of them. And so why are they talking to you? Always start with that. And then you spend time on your product and your company only to the extent that it aligns to their goals. Mm -hmm. And then you ask them to make commitments right at the end of every call. If they actually see value and fit, they should be willing to do things. It's not just us doing things. So this idea of always looking at buyer, Mm -hmm. the buyer why and buyer actions, it's all about your buyer. 
Right. You know, Mr. and Mrs. Uh, sales leader. I mean, that feels like challenger says, teach Taylor and take control. You're the hero. You're in charge. That feels great, but it doesn't work. I mean, right. elements of it. What we're saying is you got to have the humility to recognize that every buyer is a little bit different, different right. role, different persona. And if you just actively spend time listening, they will tell you exactly why they're talking to you and exactly what your best opportunity is to get to the finish line. Okay, let's move on to core point number two. What do you want people then? Yeah, core point number two, we've touched on this, is just when you think about buyer value, mm -hmm. it's got to be connected across you know, your website, prospecting, sales, and customer success. Mm -hmm. uh, and content is the key to doing that. Um, often, you know, people think of marketing as uh, content as for marketing and early funnel. Right. Uh, but the reality is if we think of good success stories or we think of our product talk tracks or we think of good blog or insight posts or even webinars, um, we want, want our buyers to hear the same thing at different levels, right? Snippets and right. maybe case studies into slides. We want them to hear the exact same things. Right. Use cases described in our website, same in a prospecting email and voicemail, same in a first call. Same in a customer success interaction where we're trying to prompt an upsell. So think less about individual content assets mm -hmm. and think more about content pathways around those problems you solve for your buyer that you can see working across your uh, go-to-market teams. You talked about authenticity and then you talked about the content strategy, but then that leads to the third thing that we discussed before, which was consistency. It's yep. having consistency across all of those, those pieces, right? So what does right. consistency mean to you? Um, I mean, consistency is that you use similar enough language that the buyer would recognize it. So I think of burning glass technologies. It's a labor market technology. They work with both corporations and colleges and universities on connecting labor market data to jobs, right? Mm -hmm. Which jobs are growing and most valuable. And they literally had the salespeople and the customer success people had different ways of describing value. Mm-hmm. So when you hand off your customer to customer success, you're just confusing them, right? In terms of what we're working on. And they would just have this herky-jerky process in their quarterly review of, well, this is what the salesperson said you did. Mm -hmm. and now you're telling me that this is how you do it. And so it's consistency in how do we message value and how do we message our capabilities and, and probably some stories. Right. tell about those different capabilities so that from the buyer's point of view, it's seamless. We're moving departments internally, but from the buyer's point of view, they shouldn't experience any transition. Okay. So when a client comes to you, there's a difference between the perceived problem and the real problem that they're having. So what is the perceived problem that you most often see with clients? Yeah. I mean, well, because we work across go-to-market teams, there's really three. Okay. One is, you know, we're not getting enough opportunities and we don't know why. Our opportunities have slowed down a lot. We're just not getting new opportunities opened by our sales team. What's causing that? That's mm -hmm. one. Two is we're getting a pretty healthy flow of opportunities, but they're all kind of stalling and taking too long to close and going off track and we don't know why. And three is, you know, we got to do a much better job of leveraging our installed base. We have mm -hmm. great customers and clients. We haven't figured out how to expand them consistently and further monetize that relationship. 
So when you walk in, you know, their perceived problem is that, but what is the the real problem that you find that your company solves that that you're most successful? Yeah, the real problem in almost every one of those cases is people are leading with their product. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And our customers right now are overwhelmed with product information and they, they don't need you to talk about your product. They can go to your website, they can go to peer review sites. There's dozens of them. They can go to their competitor sites. They can you know, read, read reviews about you, watch videos. They don't need you to talk about your product. They want to understand really quickly what you said is like, what problem do you solve for them? How do you make them more successful? And if you're not leading honestly on your website with those use cases and in your prospecting with inviting a conversation, people are going to check out. They're like, oh, I don't want to go to a meeting. It's going to be a product pitch. So why would I show up for that? Right. If you're not really quickly, I mentioned the TrueFit example, you know, they would get awesome. They get a ton of first meetings because this transformational technology where you can now give people exact style and fit recommendations across a genome of 17,000 fashions. And then the meetings would die because it was just a features benefit right. uh, a work and nothing about how, hey, we can help you convert more web browsers to buyers. We can reduce returns. Right. We can see customer lifetime value. So as soon as they flip the switch and this product innovation is about you, Mr. and Mr. Buyer, the deal velocity increased dramatically. Uh, and then, you know, the same thing on the expansion um, mm -hmm. motion. Like what if I think of a company called Parsable that has a handheld uh, device for manufacturers, they can automate almost any manufacturing process, shop floor, whether it's quality or safety or continuous improvement or production. But they were selling this kind of generic platform. But the, once they started selling specific use cases to quality managers, uh, production managers, safety managers, maintenance managers, what they saw is their uh, expansion pipeline shifted dramatically. Once they started saying, hey, this is the problem we solved for somebody in maintenance, making it more planned and predictive. Here's what we've done with your colleagues in other industries. Right. Are you working on that problem? Their expansion pipeline started increased dramatically. So just this habit, and we talked about this at the outside, we talk about value plays this habit of thinking not about my product, but how does my product drive value for my buyer and my buyer by persona mm -hmm. can accelerate your revenue at every one of those critical points. So I think the key thing from there then, once you know what the real problem is and you've kind of defined all that stuff, how do you define a solution for these people? What's the solution to the problem? How do you get to that point? And I'm not talking about the steps in the process, but what's the overarching thing that you have to convince a client to do in order for them to be successful? Well, and you hit it um, well, like, and I love that you do a website audit. We do mm -hmm. website audits and you can tell a lot about a company and how they think about engaging their market from that. And so it's either, it's often we, either we wing all over themselves. I've never heard that. I'm not sure I'm going to use that in all prospect calls, but some at my work. If people get offended with the wee wee, they're not my client. That's a good qualifier. So it's all about them. It's all about their product at war. It's all about their capability rather than, you know, what, what outcomes have we driven uh, for our buyer? And so that's one, right? And do you recognize that? And are you willing to solve it? And many won't, right? They're just mm -hmm. like, hey, we're, you know, so what, right? Is like our product is great and we should sell it. And that's like, all right, you're not a good fit for us. Right. I think of a company, a new company we're working with called Yellow Dig, uh, where the Shanuk Roy, who's the CEO, basically knew, right? Our product got us so far. It's a transformational learning product. But now we got to sell into what, uh, you know, senior academic leaders care about. And we mm -hmm. need to help positioning that. So that's 
One is, okay, are you interested in getting better at telling stories about value for an individual persona? Right. But then at the same time, you got to think about what is your brand promise across a couple of outcomes for for a, a buyer because market's noisy and you're going to talk to six to eight people and you got to bring them back to two things mm -hmm. that really set you apart. So that's one thing we scope. And then the second thing is, okay, you might do a really good job um, on your website and outcomes, but how actionable is that for your team? Mm -hmm. If you were just and we'll do a simple diagnostic. If I just looked at your best prospecting cadences, if I were to look at the questions that your uh, and your talk tracks for your sales team, their stories, would I actually see those outcomes or is everybody kind of doing it their own way to speak to consistency, usually to build consistency, you need playbooks and you need playbooks by team. So sometimes people get the buy, the messaging right, right? Marketing's really good at the strategic, the, the outcome stuff, but then they actually aren't executing it across their uh, teams that are interfacing with, uh, with prospects, buyers and customers. When I look at marketing from a, a big picture, I usually look at three different phases for marketing and two different phases for sales. The three different phases for marketing is awareness, education, and pre-sale, right? It's like, it's getting that conversation. And I also equate that to know, like, and trust, right? Somebody gets to know you, you're making them aware of you. You know, somebody gets to like you because they're reading stories, they're understanding that you care, you're empathetic, you have those kind of things. And then the trust is they're willing to, to invest their time to talk to a human being. Right. They're willing to actually begin a conversation, to begin a relationship, to kind of venture, you know, stick their toe in the pool, see how cold it is. And then from there, you know, that's that's one playbook. But then I see the sales playbook. You know, obviously, that's the OK. Now that we've got them having a conversation, how do we get them to follow through and actually make a purchase? And then what's the post purchase, the retention playbook? Right. What is the CSR doing the customer service rep? the quality team, the delivery team, whatever it is, I, I see it as these multiple. So how do you, how do you get a company to understand there's multiple of them? And then what is the process to go through those? Do you do the sales one first? You do the marketing one first? How does that work? Yeah, no. And, and you described it really well. We will start month one for us is always the value playbooks mm -hmm. value by persona and overall. Uh, but then we have four major, what we call team level playbooks. Um, and we'll typically focus on one at a time just so you don't get distracted. It depends on which of those revenue outcomes you care about. And those four major ones are we talk about uh, demand gen and prospecting. So it aligns to your like third marketing stage mm -hmm. pre-sales. And we're sort of taking the awareness and education, linking it to a smoother pre-sale. So demand gen and marketing is mm -hmm. one. Sales and deal velocity, which is getting it to the point of closing closing and expansion because honestly you need to think about your closing as the beginning of your expansion motion and that playbook is going to connect your sales right. your account management your customer success or your customer service team and then the fourth major playbook is as you say the renewal uh customer success and renewal where we're really thinking about renewals incremental upsells but honestly that's those are the people that should get better and better at capturing the customer voice, capturing stories, which they can share back to marketing um, to then, you know, sort of optimize uh, the marketing playbooks. Right. So I think everybody in business can relate to this challenge, right? 
companies, you, you can have all these playbooks, getting people to actually align to them without some kind of formal training, without some kind of reviews, without some kind of process evaluation, some kind of feedback loop is, is a challenge, right? I mean, you can create these playbooks, but if nobody reads them, you know, and everybody's going rogue, what do you end up with? You end up with some really great documents, but no success, right? And every one of our engagements, we typically, in the first six months, we pace with teams on a biweekly team session mm -hmm. and then an individual peer coaching session where two or three people are taking the playbooks, applying it in their deals, or if it's with a prospecting team, they're applying it in their prospecting cadences, their call connects, their objection handling. But we want to basically, you know, there's a weekly touch point Mm -hmm. where you are reinforcing, putting it in your own voice, uh, and then bringing that back to the team to iterate. And after a team is kind of in that rhythm of saying, hey, it's not just about playbooks. I have to act actually be an active learner and put this into my process. We often then start to work with managers, mm -hmm. uh, the frontline managers and sales prospecting or customer success on, okay, let's think about the next quarter what is your plan, individual and team, to reinforce this? Because if you don't, like any sport, right, if you don't keep reinforcing it, the skills atrophy. Right. So, Brian, you're 100% right that a playbook is only as good. It doesn't actually change anything. Mm -hmm. It's the reinforcement, the skills development strategy in the deals, uh, in the prospecting, in the account work that changes things for the better. And you have to commit to that. And everybody gets busy and they have to run their pipeline. And we just say 3% of your time, mm -hmm. one hour a week, mm -hmm. one hour a week to make sure you're getting better. And it will transform your go-to-market team and growth if you maintain that steady cadence. That's awesome. The first question I have for this is commitment. You know, obviously, when I, when I talk to a client, um, I tell them, you know, it's going to be a minimum of three months before anything substantial starts to happen, right? When you're working with clients, what's kind of the time frame? I mean, is it is it a three month, six month, you know, quarterly? I mean, where do you start to see, you know, some of this stuff actually take shape and deliver and start to see some results? Yeah, I, I think that is it. Usually, ninety, you know, ninety to one hundred twenty days that you start to move the needle on revenue outcomes. Mm -hmm. I think we try and manage expectations by delivering content that often is presented in a way they hadn't really thought about. So we were working with a new industrial automation company and you know, built their value plays by persona in, in, in about three weeks. And, uh, and the COO said in front of the Mark, VP of marketing and did in kind of an offhanded comment, like he was like, well, I don't know if it's ready to go to the CEO. And she just said, this is way better than what they have now. Yeah. <laughs> so if you, you know, bring a perspective on how to bring value and content, I think that that will stand on its own for a little bit. Uh, but then to your point, people want to say, OK, what are the what are the revenue outcomes? Uh, right. And but it does. It takes 90 days and the commitment needs to be there. And we are doing a much better job on qualifying for the mindset. Mm hmm. Do you see this as a, we, we just kind of got out of a sales process with another industrial automation company because they can say the words, they know they need to shift from, you know, selling uh, just uh, a suite of environmental products to industrial automation right. to more business value, lowering risk, lowering costs. They can say those words, but then they want to think, oh, well, can you just develop content? 
right? right? Or can you just do a training for my team? They're not thinking about it, a holistic process right. to shift and to shift anything meaningful. It takes time, as you say. Well, and I've run into the opposite of that, where they don't want to create content. We've we've hired this marketing person, and she's going to write all the content, and then you're just going to work with our sales team, right? You know, it's like if the two things aren't aligned, you know, it, why do you think things are going to change? Why is this person going to follow what we suggest, or they know better than we do, and they're going to tell us how to do things, right? So I think that's that's part of the challenge too, is understanding. Um, the intricacies of relationships, interpersonal relationships within the business, and then also your business to theirs, you know, and, and yeah. like you said, too, one of the thing I, I want to bring up is a lot of times you run into, um, they just got done with a sales trainer or sales person who is spent, you know, all doing the traditional things, right? Get more leads. Here's how you close, you know, all the basic sales one-on-one stuff that you see from all the sales gurus but you know, it's not aligned to everything else, right? So do you see those two things happening? Yeah, and I think it goes back to our kind of core, three core themes, right? With mm -hmm. authentic conversations that start with your buyer why. Right. Number two is kind of use content to connect the entire journey. And then you got to actually build skills to, to do that consistently. Um, you're 100% right. And what we find is if we get stovepipe into sales or marketing, it's going to be a short engagement. Right. So the final question I've got for you uh, before we finish up and, and give people a chance to connect with you is, what do you consider to be a successful outcome? What What is, when do you start to be able to show the end user, your client, that this process is working? What are the signs that you can show them or what do they see that they go, wow, this is working, right? Yeah, I mean, the two, so ultimately we, we like to build our own success stories where you're showing a growth and pipeline, you're showing conversion rate, et cetera. I mean, those metrics, that takes time. But the two early indicators that we look for uh, in the sales team uh, is just being able to articulate your buyer's why. Mm -hmm. you know, so often within, you'll see in 30 or 60 days, people are kind of debriefing calls. Oh, that was a good call, All right? They walked me to the elevator. They love the product, whatever. And then they start saying, you know, uh, they, they, they'll, they'll shift and they'll start to say, you know, what they shared is they have this initiative around retention of some type. And mm -hmm. it's been a, a pain point. They saw our capabilities as kind of closing a gap for them. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, they, they shared that the CHRO has initiative or they shared they're trying to reduce costs by 10% and this could help them or reduce risk by you know, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So they'll start to talk about their buyers as a person with a goal. Right. It's like, boom, that is beautiful because it changes everything. And similarly, in prospecting, what we'll see is we want to see people launching cadences and get engagements and get call connects where they actually have the buyers kind of engage them with problems they solve. So some a great story with a company called NECI and uh, Curtis, who's a BDR there, you mm -hmm. know, called on, hey, uh, no, we don't have any problem right now on monitoring our pump risk. And Curtis just said, what else are you working on? Mm -hmm. Right. And, and the buyer proceeded to kind of give him four or five things they're working on. And Curtis said, you know, I think we work on a lot of those things and would love to get you connected with a solution architect, right? 200K mm -hmm. deal in the works right, right. afterwards. So what we'll see is people will email back and say, yes, I am working on that problem. 
or yes, I would like to talk about that, which is an indication for us that you're not just saying, hey, talk to me about my product. You're inviting a conversation and people are saying, yes, I'm interested in learning more. Yes, I'd like to talk about that problem. Right. Just I'll commit to a meeting or maybe just commit to getting more information on that problem. All right. With that being said, now it's your turn to shine. So let's talk about the book. And um, where can, you know, first and foremost, where can people find it and, and, and tell us about it and, and what, you know, what you think the best thing about the book is that you've seen so far? So Yeah, I mean, look, they can just go to Amazon and, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, Google the Revenue Acceleration Playbook. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a print copy, there's an audible copy, um, and there's a Kindle copy. So they can choose the mode that they like. I think the most important thing in the book, I mean, we've touched on it a number of times, but as we've been talking about the future Mm -hmm. of successful selling and revenue growth is personalization, Mm -hmm. Uh, connecting to your buyers, understanding their why. Um, And so the sooner you begin on that journey, or honestly, if you're on that journey, it's about getting better and better and better because we sell the dozens of personas and our market always changes, new competitors. So you either can solve a problem for them or you can't, and you're not trying to just kind of push stuff on people that they don't want. So Brent, this has been awesome. And I want to give my audience an opportunity to get a hold of you. If they were to connect with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, I mean, they can send me an email directly at bkeltner at winalytics, W-I-N-A-L-Y-T-I-C-S.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can also connect with me on LinkedIn. There's only one Brent Keltner that I'm aware of. Awesome. On LinkedIn. It's the way you and I initially connected. And I always, anybody who reaches out to me, they will get a response. Well, Brent, thank you so much for coming on and dropping some sizzling hot bacon knowledge bombs on my peeps. I appreciate you and your time and your wisdom. And I look forward to connecting with you again soon. I love the call, Brian. Thanks so much. It's great to a brother from another mother. <laughs> Strong connection there. Thank you. Thank you for letting us sprinkle some bacon bits into your brains. Want some more? Learn more about this podcast and our guest experts at baconpodcast.com. Have questions? Send them to askbrian at baconpodcast.com. Until next time, keep sizzling. And remember, it's all about the bacon.